0: Give you something new that you don't know about? Okay. (laughs) Well, we might want to cut that one off the video. Okay, well, why don't we do that? Uh, So, the location is very important where we are. Jesus takes his disciples. He's gone north into the Galilee to a city called Caesarea Philippi, a very, very, very pagan town. And in the north part of that city, which is the picture up there, there was what was called the grotto of Pan. Now Pan was the Greek god of the underworld, and the people of ancient days believed that that was the entrance to hell. So the gates of hell is that grotto in that picture. That's what he's looking at. And everything he's gonna say in these few verses revolve around the fact that they're looking at that right now, looking at the gates of hell. But there's a lot of other things going on and you need to have all the little symbols and, and other representations, if you will, or metaphors is what I'm looking for, to fully grasp what's going on. So first let me tell you about cultural, uh, the, the culture about leaders. I'm going to get started here and get rolling. It's the, it's the snow that's got me flaked out. Get it? Anyway, culture in Jesus' day was you had to have some kind of credentials to be a religious leader. And when we see Jesus as being confronted by like Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, and like, not only are they trying to say, hey, are you one of us, do you think like us, but they also wanna know his credentials. For example, my guess is everyone here has a high school diploma somewhere. Maybe you can't find it, maybe you got lost over time, but that piece of paper is a credential that says that you graduated and if you go into your employers they know, you know certain things, right? Well, religious people needed credentials too. And where was Jesus' credentials? Well, that's a lot of what was going on. So when he says to his people, his disciples, who do people say I am, he's kind of looking for what credentials do they think I have? They want to know who did you learn from? Why do you think you should go out and teach this new wave. What, where's your credentials? That's where it starts. He also says about the son of man. And what's interesting is in the Aramaic world, which of course he lived in, the son of man in Jesus' time meant you were an ordinary guy. You had no credentials. So if he's saying, hey, are they calling me the son of man? That means there's, they would come back and say, oh, yeah, that's what they're calling you. Oh, I'm just an ordinary guy. Well, of course, he's not ordinary But that's where the Son of Man thing starts. So they want to know. He's asking, do people think I'm an ordinary guy on the street? Or am I someone with some kind of credentials? Now, we, of course, know that God gave him his credentials. He didn't need a human to give it to him. But again, you're talking to massive amounts of people. You've done all these signs and these feedings and all this really cool stuff. Are they just going to call you ordinary? It's an interesting question. And then he says something about Elijah. Oh, well, and they call him, some people say, you're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, you're In In his day, it was believed that one of the prophets, Elijah especially, was the tradition, was going to come back and prepare the way for the Messiah. So if you go to the last book of the Old Testament in those Bibles in front of you, you will find the book of Malachi. And in the last chapter, I think it's the sixth verse, but don't quote me on it, it will Malachi will actually say that Elijah's coming back before the Messiah. Or at least it's inferred pretty heavily. That's what they're waiting for. And the Pharisees, that are the guy, remember we talked last week, they're the guys who are basically telling you what religion means. Anyway. They believed that the Messiah could not come until the streets of Jerusalem were cleaned out. Cleaned out of what? Romans. Why Romans? Because they were pagans. So the, before the Messiah comes, someone comes before him to clean up things. You know, in the ancient world, before a prince or a, an emperor or a king would go to a city, they would actually send officials to go in and clean up the city. You know, people throw their trash out, you know how that might be, they didn't exactly have sewers and things, and they would make sure the place looked nice and pretty and was clean. So, Elijah's supposed to come, according to Pharisees, and they're going to clean the pagans out of the street, because you have to be prepared for the Messiah. Now, of course, that's a problem because that's not happening at this point, and it actually never does, so they didn't quite get it quite right, but that's what they were looking for. But then we run into these metaphors, and this is the biggie, because if you read this section literally, you're missing like 90% of the action of what's really happening. And the first one is that word rock, and rock is interesting because that's English. If you take it to Aramaic, it's rock, basically the same thing. But rock was a symbol or a metaphor, whichever. It's probably a metaphor is a better word. Meaning trust, but it also meant unaltered truth, and that's what's the most important thing. And and Jesus is going to take the metaphoric meaning of rock. If you're starting to see where it's going, and he's going to use that when he says, "Upon this rock I build this church." He's not talking about Peter. In fact, if you really look at the verses, he. He really isn't calling him Peter until this verse. And why did he do that? Well, we can ask that question. Peter's name was Shema. All right, very common name. We call him Simon in English. We don't like SH Shema, but that's all right. And it comes from the word Shema, which means to listen or to hear. And what happened was parents named their kids hoping, if you will, that that's the way they were going to turn out. So if I were to name my kid Shimon, I expect the child to be very clever, very witty, able to understand easily by talking to him, because everything was mouth to ear. And Peter was not that witty. And what they did is they gave him, and did you know he had a nickname? See, everyone goes, no. If you watch The Passion of the Christ, you will see that Jesus doesn't call him Petros, which is rock. he calls him Kipa. Kipa was his nickname. Kipa is the opposite of being witty. Not dumb, just someone who just doesn't get it all the time. And if you actually look at the passages of him asking Jesus, what is this, what is this, what is this, and then we hit this section, all of a sudden, he, he got it. Yeah, he's going to have that little lapse with the three crows and all that, but he's really going to get it after this because Jesus says, who am I? Who answers first? Kippah answers first. And what does he say? In Hebrew, he says, atah habeshiah, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. We're doing it in English. And Jesus says to him, you, Peter, got that, well, you, Kipa, got that as a revelation from God. Because Kipa couldn't have come up with that on his own. That's why he's called Kippah. That's where you miss, this is a big chunk that's missing out of here because culturally and those living those days knew he was called Kipa, And what he said, He. how could he come up with this by himself, he didn't. It was a revelation from God. So Jesus turns around and says, you're not Kippah anymore. I'm going to call you Petros. That's Greek. He said, I'm going to call you Rock, which means the truth because he spoke the truth, didn't he? He's the first one to pop it out and say, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, that's the truth. And when we saw it in the English, and it's this way in the Greek, if you remember, it says, you are now Peter, comma upon this rock. Notice the second rock was little, it wasn't capitalized, Peter was. So if we were saying it as a, trans, a pure translation in Greek, it would say, you are now rock. I had a buddy when I was in high school. We called him rock because he was like six foot five, and you couldn't move him. So I'm going to call you now rock, the truth. And then he says, upon this rock, the truth, I will build this church. Not upon Peter. The church for two thousand years has said, oh, this verse says that Jesus is building the church on Peter. That's not what it says. So what did they do? They created something called apostolic succession, so that Peter is the first pope, and then everybody ordained after that has to be able to go back and say, oh, I have apostolic succession back to Peter. Every one of the popes has to prove it before they become pope. Which, okay, if you're gonna do that, that's fine. Probably doesn't work when you get down and dirty, but. There's records, and a lot of records got destroyed over the years, so we kind of made them up a little bit. But anyway, that's why the church, the Catholic church, said Peter's the first pope, and we're going to build the church on the pope. And if you look at the structure of the Catholic church, that's exactly the way it works. The pope is basically Jesus on earth for the church. But that's not what he said. And I'm going to show you what he really said in a second, because it's based on the truth. Again, what's the truth? That Jesus is the Messiah. Sheol is used in a lot of different places. I'm sure you've heard that word. That's considered the grave. That's the area just under the earth where you bury people. It's not hell at this point. It gets associated later on as hell. This is where people get buried. But most important is they actually, they believe that God had no influence in Sheol. In other, and that still exists today in the sense of uh, very Orthodox Jews will tell you when you die, you are cut off from communication with God. When you're in the grave, no more talking to God. That's the belief in those days. And there's still people that believe that. When you're dead, you're dead. You don't talk to God anymore. It's all over. And that's going to be important in a second, too. But then he also talks about the keys of the kingdom. He says, I'm going to give you the keys. And that's an idiom that means it's a symbol of power and trust. In other words, if I wanted to really trust Patty here, I would give him the keys to my house. Except I don't have keys, I'd have to give you the special code, so here's the code. Now, would I give him my code if I did not trust him? And actually, you end up with a little power there because you can't enter and leave whenever. And what happened was, in ancient days, if I was the master of the farm, if you will, of the estate, and I said, Pappy, you're my my top steward now. Here are the keys to the kingdom, the keys to the estate. That also meant that he became the guy who handled all the finances, you see, because I trust him. I gave him the power and the trust to do what's right, the keys to the kingdom. See what he's saying? Now, Buying the loose has always been told to us in commentaries and in seminaries that it means that Peter was given the power to forgive sin or to not forgive sin. What does that equal today? We all know what it's called. It's called a confessional, right? You're supposed if you're Catholic, you go to church and you go in the little box. They don't do boxes anymore. I heard they changed that. But you're supposed to tell the priest, right? All the sins you committed, and the priest can either say, yes, you are forgiven, or, according to the way this is interpreted, no, you're not. Now, I always had a problem with that, and I don't know if you did, because I was taught that Jesus and God are the only ones that can forgive sin. How could you possibly give that power over to humans? Because you know what's going to happen. Just look at the Catholic Church and the whole Reformation, how it all evolves has to do with this, oh, I can forgive your sin or not forgive your sin. Read the 95 Theses, from Martin Luther, I mean it's all over the place. If the Pope could forgive sin, why doesn't he just do it? And he goes on and on and on. It also has another symbolic meaning in those days, and it meant to en- I just disappeared. It meant to enact laws and to forgive sin. Of course the battery went dead while well, we're in the middle here, so I'll just have to keep going. Uh, it also meant to enact laws and to repeal laws. And I think if you think about that symbolism for a moment, that Jesus is saying to Peter, you're going to form this organization, call it church, because that's fine, that word works. And he's saying to Peter, you're going to create the laws and the regulations to make it happen. Every human organization needs laws and regulations and bylaws. I mean, nowadays it's too many. That's because we have lawyers. They didn't have lawyers back then. Remember, anyone, anyone ever watch Back to the Future? Yeah, and, and it says, uh, tried and convicted in two hours, and Doc says the legal system moves very quickly because they have always lawyers. <laughs> Man, that's so cool. Think of how easy life would be. So I think when he says this, he's saying to not only to Peter probably, but to his group, You're, I'm going to be gone. You're going to make the movement happen. You've got to make it happen. You yeah. have to. It's like, I'm giving you the power to do it. I'm giving you the keys, so I trust you. And I am giving you the power. If you can make and enact laws, I'm giving you a lot of power, aren't I? And certainly the church has used that quite a bit. So I mentioned about Peter being the apostolic succession and the church is built on him. And I actually did this entire slide, so I'm sorry, I'm just going to pass through it. The truth is Jesus is the Messiah. And now we have to think about this for a second. So if we were to go back for a second, now imagine out there, where are at Caesarea Philippi, right there is the grotto, right? We're looking at the grotto. That's where the gates of hell are when all of this is happening. So keep that in mind. First is, Jesus says, the foundation of his church is hell. Not on Peter, he's saying it's based on the truth, the revelation from heaven, which is from God, which is the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what we're built on. We're not built on a person, we're built on the truth of God. So that's what we're built on. The second thing is they needed to understand that God is in charge of the whole universe, which also meant Sheol. That meant all those who died before are going to be affected by the kingdom of heaven because you guys, you 12, you're going to expand it. And if you remember, later on, I'm not sure it's in Matthew, it's because we harmonize gospels, isn't there one which says that when Jesus dies and the graves break open and the, the dead come, see, that's the kingdom of heaven coming into the grave. So those people that have been taught, oh, you're going to lose your connection with God because you're dead, you're actually not. Because he's going to make that happen. And he expected them to expand the kingdom. That's their job. And that's our job. But let me show you this little drawing that I did. And I picked a picture of hell. I could find it was really scary. The church is built on the gates of hell. Now there's hell. There's the gates. But look what it is. It's the foundation. The rock he spoke of is the truth. Rock also symbolizes support. So you're supported by the truth. So up in there in the kingdom of heaven slash church, that's where we are. We are there because the foundation of Jesus as Messiah sits on top of the gates of hell. Meaning if the kingdom of heaven is totally implemented like throughout the world, then hell, meaning Satan and his demons, can never get out. Because we will prevent that from happening. Because we know the truth. And when we tell the truth of Jesus as Messiah and love and grace and all that stuff that comes with it, nobody's going to get out of hell and nobody's ever going to go back into it. Because we're all going to be good. And that's what he's really saying here. So the church is built on the truth that he's the Messiah on top of Satan. That part of our job is to squish him and to get him out. And imagine if every person in the world today believed the truth that jesus is the messiah that we would have no wars we'd have no all this nonsense that's going on in the world and we would love one another but it hasn't happened yet so those gates are not sealed yet but it's his it's christ's hope and, and i'm sure your hope and mine that one day those gates will be sealed that they can't be opened because that rock is sitting on top of it. And I hope this gives you more, a nice broader understanding of what he's saying. It's built on the gates of hell through truth, not on a person. So let's come together and continue in our worship as we give our offering to God.